A woke MSNBC contributor totally humiliates himself when he gets into a tirade on the crisis at our southern border. Oh, no. Maybe the fentanyl crisis, the suicide epidemic, the slaughter of innocent babies. No, 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 no. No, none of those things. On this particular day, on this occasion, his attack is on the evils of Christianity. We'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter where you can find ways to support this channel financially. And you can also catch the brand new trailer to our featured documentary, Fatherless. You don't want to miss that. And speaking of things you don't want to miss, Podcast to the Church is back this Wednesday. If you haven't seen that in the past, it's a roundtable discussion with other Christian thinkers. And we're going to be talking about a very important subject. Maybe you've noticed that Christianity has really been thrust into the political conversation in 2020. 2024 in a way that it hasn't before in my lifetime. It's really peculiar to see Christianity taking a center stage as a political issue where in the past it hasn't. So the real question is, why is that happening? And of course, if you've been paying attention to my show or just to Common Sense, you, you understand that there is a very forward attempt to try to push the church progressive for the purposes of those who have pol a political agenda. Needless to say, uh, don't miss that. Go ahead and subscribe to the channel where you will get notifications about all of the content that's dropping, especially Podcast of the Church coming to you this Wednesday. During the reign of Decius, a very deadly program was instituted in order to bring Rome back to its former glory. See, Decius thought that as people left the old pagan gods of Rome and converted to Christianity, that the Roman Empire was crumbling and that its once former glory was growing dim. And so he instituted a very deadly policy. Everyone in the empire must burn just a small pinch of incense to the false pagan gods of Rome. Now, it didn't have to mean anything to you. You just had to pay a small tax, get your incense, and burn this incense to this false god, and then you could walk away pain-free. Many Christians refused the bargain, and as a result, they paid for it with their life. And this brought about what was known as the Decian persecution, where many Christians lost their lives as a result of refusing to bow their knee to the false gods of Rome. Now, after the death of Decius, there was a large debate in the Christian church. Should those who burnt incense, or even those who purchased illegal documents saying that they burnt incense, should they be allowed back into the church? After a rigorous debate, church fathers decided to do this. Those who purchased false documents, they would be punished, but they would be allowed back into the church. But those who did burn incense, that they would not be allowed communion or back into the church until they were on their deathbed. Now, you might say to yourself they missed an opportunity to extend mercy there, or you might take note of the fact that there were some pretty high standards for the church back then. The one thing you cannot say is that in the modern day church, we today have become legalistic, too fundamentalist, and too serious about our faith, because the exact opposite has happened. Thousands of years after the Decian persecution, that kind of conversation seems totally anathema to the modern day church, because we have become way more soft, way more watered down, and way more progressive. Take a brief stroll through social media, and you'll realize that the problem in the modern day church isn't fundamentalism. It's not Bible-believing Christians who are starting to read the Word of God for themselves and starting to take the words of God seriously. No, the real problem is that 
the liberalized and progressive church of today is totally making a mockery of Christianity, as you can see here. This is God for today's pride reading from the book of Sirach, chapter 43. Look upon the rainbow and praise the one who made it. It is exceedingly beautiful in its brightness. We're girls and we're priests. We just might slip a Dolly Parton or Taylor Swift lyric into our sermons. We're girls and we're priests. We're going to remind you that the first person to preach the resurrected Christ was a woman. We're girls and we're priests. Of course we're going to have a liturgical Barbie in the children's ministry area with matching vestments. We're girls and we're priests. We're going to match our nails to the liturgical season. Girls and we're priests. Of course we're going to twirl in our chasubles. If anything, I hope you can see there has been a steep decline in the standards of what it means to be a Christian since our church fathers in the past had the opportunity to put their input into these kind of things. In fact, I think they may be rolling around in their grave right now looking at us in the present saying, what are you doing? But that brings us to an MSNBC comedian and contributor whose main contention is that evangelical Christians are just too strict today and they are now the real heretics of the present and we must liberalize the church in order to solve this big problem. Check it out. They would love to leave behind right-wing fundamentalists and Christian nationalists who use Jesus, whose birth we celebrate, as a prop while legislating and fighting against his actual teachings. Now, I want to stop real quick to make mention of the fact of two things. First, that the show is going to be a little bit different today. I typically allow a person a long span of time to speak and to air out their ideas so that we can really grasp what they're trying to say. This is a much shorter clip, so I'm going to stop a lot in between much very smaller segments to kind of comment and respond to what we're hearing. So just wanted to give you that heads up, but also wanted you to know this second thing about what you just heard. What's important to hear here is a sinking suspicion that I've had for a long time, that whenever anybody says Christian nationalism, what they actually mean is what this individual just apparently either let the mask slip or just slip out of the bag or um, doesn't care if you know his true intentions. Because the true intentions of the individual that talks about Christian nationalism is never to just simply talk about Christian nationalism as a real entity affecting Americans today. You can tell this by the fact that they rarely ever define what they mean by Christian nationalists or rarely ever give statistics or any kind of empirical evidence when they start talking about Christian nationalism. The best they got is January 6th. They'll say something about the Jericho March on January 6th. The problem with that is that even the January 6th commission developed a report about what took place on January 6th, and guess what? Surprise, there's nothing about Christian nationalism in the whole report. So needless to say, their desire to keep this idea of Christian nationalism very ambiguous has always left a bad taste in my mouth. And it's been my understanding that what they're actually trying to do is just create a category of people that they dislike or maybe people that they disagree with, um, and then to be as dishonest as possible about this group of people and shove them into that category. And essentially, I, I would say this. There's a bunch of progressive Christians out there that are looking for a way to legitimize their movement, and the only way that they can figure out how to legitimize their movement is to castigate and to finger point at other um, conservative Christians, all while, by the way, ironically, they say, don't point fingers because you judgmental, you know, fundamentalist, right-wing Christians. Uh, you keep finger pointing, but of course they are the first to finger point, as we see here in this clip. But, but my point is this, is that this individual makes it very clear because he says right-wing, fundamentalist, Christians, and I think you can put a comma 
after all of those things. And then he says Christian nationalist. So apparently if you're a fundamentalist, which he doesn't really explain even what that means, or if you're just a Christian, or if you're a Christian nationalist, all these people are in one big bag together in order to legitimize the claims that he's about to make about what is wrong with Christianity today. So needless to say, for those of you who would say, well, I'm not a Christian nationalist, I don't have to worry about that, trust me, they're not just coming for supposed Christian nationalists, they're coming for the church, they're coming for Christianity, as you can see here. There's a lot of right-wing brothers and sisters in this country who identify as Christian and they care about the manger and the crucifix and they ignore the 30 years of teaching. 33. Well, actually three years of teaching he did in between. Uh, Jesus is um, not an ally of the Republican Party. There is no overlap between Jesus and the policies of Donald Trump. Okay, so fair enough. Jesus is not an ally of the Republican Party. But I don't know. He kind of left out another party there, didn't he? Is he an ally of progressive Democrats? Is he an ally of liberal Democrats? Maybe you should be quick to say what you actually mean. And of course, I think we all know what this guy actually means. He means that if there is anything that is Republican, Jesus must have been against it because I am against it. Now, this is funny to me because we hear all the time from these kind of liberals and progressive Democrats that the people who um, fabricate a Jesus in their own image is those conservative Christians who believe in a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. To date, I haven't seen a single Christian on the planet who actually believes that Jesus was blonde-haired and blue-eyed. But I have seen a ton of progressive Christians who want to quietly and behind the curtain try to shove Jesus into their policy procedures and then shame anybody who might disagree with them slightly. Perhaps we make the suggestion that, you know, the welfare system is actually not very humanizing to people and actually giving people meaningful work might be a more beneficial thing for human beings rather than just helping them get on the government teat. But then of course the progressive Christian out there, or the progressive Democrat, will be quick to say, oh, I thought you Christians were about charity, as though that ad hominem attack had any logic and intelligence in it whatsoever. The point being there is that, of course, Christians are charitable, but there is a discussion as to what it actually means to be charitable, and that's really where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? But this individual isn't interested in that kind of nuance. But there's one last prickly thing that we need to talk about. There is no overlap between the policies of Donald Trump and the three years, we finally got to it, the three-year teaching ministry of Jesus Christ. Well, really? Now, I kind of remember this thing about, you know, don't mess with children, or it's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. So in other words, I would think the protection of kids from transgender policies, unlike what Biden has been doing, actually is kind of an overlap for Donald Trump. But more importantly, let's speak specifically to something Donald Trump did, which we'll get into in the next clip. Donald Trump put three conservative Republican Supreme Court justices on the Supreme Court. And as a result of that, they overturned Roe v. Wade. Now, there are some estimates that have already come out that have said that around 30,000, if not more, babies have been saved since the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Well, since that, you know, pesky God of the Bible said, thou shalt not kill, well then, I would think that there is an overlap there. Donald Trump whether his rhetoric has matched this or not, and I would agree that it hasn't, uh, especially as of late, but his policies have protected life in Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life kind of cared about life. But you'll see that uh, that policy isn't enough for this pro-abortion individual because, of course, the Bible has nothing to say about abortion. 
up in South Carolina, they tried to have a bill this year calling for the death penalty for abortion. We're so pro-life, we'll kill you. That's where we're at right now. <laughs> That's well, this guy keeps bringing the hits, doesn't he? Now he is accusing Christians of sitting around, I'm assuming, Sunday morning with their coffee in their hand and hearing sermons about how we can give the death penalty to mothers who aborted their baby. So let me just say a couple of things about this false accusation. First of all, few people actually want this kind of thing to happen. As far as I know, there was one senator in South Carolina and then a very small handful of legislators in Texas that actually proposed a bill that said, hey, if you're gonna subvert the laws of our state, then you're gonna be held accountable for those things. So those bills, by the way, held by just a very, very small cohort of people in the United States, uh, none of them passed. So I don't know why this individual is talking about it, except that he just, again, wants to paint with a broad brush so that he can indict all Christians. But again, it should be noted that Christians aren't spending their Sunday mornings trying to figure out how to make sure that abortive mothers are actually given the death penalty, not something that we really do. What we actually spend our time doing is investing in pregnancy resource centers so that people who are in crisis pregnancies can find ways to take care of that baby so that they don't have to kill that baby. But even if we believed that the death penalty should be given to a mother who aborts their child because there is this logical argument that if done in good faith, I understand it, the, the, the liberal, the progressive can come and say, hey, you Christians believe that abortion is murder. You say it on your signs, abortion's murder. So shouldn't, you know, logically speaking, shouldn't you accuse women who abort their children of, of murder? Well, let me first just state something really, really clear. First and foremost, as far as the scripture is concerned and this attack that uh, Christians uh, should be logically consistent here and if they do, they're total hypocrites because uh, they are pro-life but then they want to murder uh, these women who are murdering their babies. There is a difference between killing and murder. Now you can kill somebody who is attacking your wife and in fact, I would. If somebody is using deadly force or trying to come and attack my family, I'm going to do whatever is necessary to, to protect them. There's a difference between that and murder. So when we talk about the death of an innocent baby, that is murder. Whereas killing somebody who has broken laws is a way in which we protect society. And by the way, don't know if you've ever read the Old Testament guy, but the death penalty was instituted in the Old Testament and it's where we get it today in our modern day jurisprudence in the West. But all of that is kind of a side note because none of his conversation up to this point has even encroached upon the idea as to whether or not a baby in the womb should be murdered. Now, I'm sure he doesn't want to go into that conversation, but again, we can show you scripture verse after scripture verse where God says that murder is kind of a bad thing and that actually children are not supposed to be hindered from coming to God, which means probably don't snap their spine in the womb. I'm saying all of this to say that what we're seeing is nothing more than performative rage from this individual. He doesn't actually care about abortive mothers. He doesn't care about babies in the womb. He might actually have an intellectual conversation about what actually constitutes a life. And then we could actually talk about whether or not that truly is murder in the womb and what should be done about it. But we get no such, uh, no such benefit from this individual in his morally benighted argument. He'll give us a little bit more about immigration in this next clip. 
Right. I would kill for a Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. Seeing the Pope this week <laughs> enrage yeah. these right-wing Christians so much because he acted like Jesus in blessing gay unions. Yep. Jesus is not anti-immigrant. He commands people to welcome the stranger. He never mentions abortion. The Bible never condemns abortion. We've had two generations of Christians in this country who have been groomed to believe criminalizing abortion is something to do with what Jesus talked about. People like the individual we just heard from are deeply ignorant as to what Christians actually believe um, and who Christians actually are. So you can't fault them on one hand, but the rule of thumb is if you don't know what the hell you're talking about, you probably should shut up and maybe listen a little bit more than talk. But one of the things that I want to mention right there is that you just heard a straw man about immigration. To date, there are exactly zero Christians who believe that our nation should be totally closed to all immigration. And by the way, even if I'm wrong about that, the very small percentage of people who actually believe in the kind of idea that we should be a closed nation and we should not import people from other parts of the world because we want a white race in America or something like that, the amount of people who believe that is so sparingly small that it is not worth our time and it certainly isn't Christian teaching. So again, there are no Christians, real Christians, who actually believe that we should have closed borders because of some kind of ethnostate that we're trying to create. Rather, what Christians believe, because they believe the Bible, is that legal immigration is a great good, but illegal immigration hurts people. It increases the uh, fentanyl crisis in America. It increases human trafficking, sex trafficking in America. It in increases human smuggling and the um, abuse of people, and that there is a humanitarian crisis along with our southern border crisis. So, if you're a Christian, you should actually care about that. And the best way to care about that, the best way to actually not overtax and overheat our systems here in America so that everybody can flourish and be blessed is by making sure that we ensure legal immigration and make sure that illegal immigration is stopped immediately. Now, why would a Christian believe in something like that? That sounds awfully political. Well, because again, the Bible. The Bible talks all about the stranger. Are we supposed to believe that Israel had no borders and that there was no immigration law in the Old Testament? Of course there was. When the Bible talks about the stranger, it almost always provides then a list of things that the stranger must do then to become a citizen. Again, the jurisprudence and the immigration laws of our Western civilization here in America are largely borrowed from things we find in the Old Testament. And here again, we find that. So if you're a real Christian, unlike the man we hear from at MSNBC, you will desire legal immigration and want to stop illegal immigration because it hurts everybody. Now, um, one final clip, perhaps, if you haven't gotten to the point of inducing vomit, I want to just give you one last final thing. Christ was a peaceful, radical, nonviolent revolutionary, never mentioned gay people. He commanded you to pay your taxes, to welcome the stranger. Individuals and nations must care for the poor and sick in Matthew 25. He who lives by the sword must die by the sword, Luke 22. There's a reason why these right-wingers never try to put the Sermon on the Mount on walls and classrooms. So here we go, folks. Full circle ignorance. A lot of talking with very little substance. It's kind of like the seeker-sensitive church of today. Needless to say, we heard there that Christians really just want to murder moms. They just want to uh, keep 
immigrants out of our country uh, and they hate gay marriage. They hate gay marriage. They care about what people do in their bedroom. And what is wrong with these Christians? Get back to the teaching of Jesus. That's, that's what we've gotten from this individual. Now, I don't have time to fully respond to all of the nonsense that you just heard right there. You need to go check out our show Wednesday evening, Podcast of the Church, where we give kind of a more thorough discussion about some of these things. But just a couple of things of note. Jesus obviously clearly did talk about abortion. He did teach against gay marriage. What God has put together, speaking about marriage, uh, marriage between a man and a woman, let no man put asunder. Just because you want to have gay sex doesn't mean that you get to redefine marriage. And I'm sorry to put it so bluntly, but this individual is pushing us to the place where we have to state the obvious. And it's almost asinine that we have to do that. Needless to say, even if Jesus didn't teach that, well, there is this thing called the whole Bible. And I understand for a lot of Christians, it's difficult to try to reconcile um, the, uh, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. And that is because they are not different. See, you've been told by progressive like this, this man your whole life that there's a hippie Jesus in the New Testament and all he ever talked about was love. Never talked about repentance, even though it says over and over again that Jesus preached repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. But no, Hippie Jesus, he loved everything and everyone. He was so totally un, uh, unintelligent and imperceptive that he couldn't tell the difference between good and evil. He just loved everything. And he was so freaking loving that eventually he had to be crucified just because, you know, that's what you do with people who love so much. Just washing everybody's feet and all. You know, he gets us. Um, and then the God of the Old Testament, of course, mean, grumpy, and judgmental. But when you're a little bit more sophisticated, you can fuse these ideas together and you can see how there is a unified understanding of who God is. Even if the Bible isn't univocal, there's a unified understanding of who God is. He is a God of justice and he is a God of love and he must be both to be a perfect God. And I say all that to say this, even if Jesus didn't specifically teach that smoking crack or even if Jesus didn't specifically speak that being a pedophile was wrong, well, you do have the whole of scripture that you have to grapple with. And there's all sorts of things in that big book that you have to grapple with if you want to be intellectually honest. But rather, we understand what this individual is about. He's about painting with a broad brush and castigating and vilifying the Christian church because he is a progressive hater. And we as Christians have to push back against this narrative. You might ask yourself why. And here's how I want to end the show. The reason you must push back against this narrative is because for far too long, even Christians have come to believe this lie that Christians are a bunch of intolerant, homophobic bigots, and they're judgmental, and they're unloving. Now, this is the modern day understanding of what an actual Christian is, but it is 100% a lie. That is nothing less than humanistic, secular re-education. The truth is, is that if you took away Christian evangelicals, especially American Christian evangelicals, you took them off the face of the map tomorrow, this individual would be, would be happy for about a sum total of 30 seconds before the reality of the world he just created has set in. Because let me give you some statistics about what American Christians are about and what they are doing compared to haters like this guy. 87% of church attenders made donations to some type of church or charity compared to only 50% of those who do not attend a church. So you understand, Christians are actually the most charitable people on the planet, and specifically American Christian evangelicals. A Pew Research poll in 2016 found that 65% of highly religious say they donated money, time, or goods to help the poor in the past week, compared to 41% of all other U.S. adults. I bet you don't want to ask how many of those U.S. adults are progressive, and if you cut them out of the pie, how many of them actually gave money 
and donated their time to give to others. But it gets better. A 2017 Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy report found that people who are religiously affiliated are more likely to make a charitable donation of any kind, whether to a religious congregation or to another type of charitable organization. Their researchers found that 62% of religious households give to charity of any kind compared with 46% of households with no religious affiliation. And this is one of the most important things that you can hear about the charitable giving of American evangelical Christians. When they do give, when they give of charity, so we're talking about, you know, you could have given a dollar and not be religious and you'd be included in that statistic. So let's look at the actual dollar amounts here. So when they give, they give exceptionally more. Christians were responsible for an average of 2,935 annual charitable giving on average compared to $704 for non-religious attending people. And that's from Philanthropy Roundtable. And then one last thing. They found that among Americans who attended service weekly and prayed daily, 45% had done volunteer work during the previous week. Among all other Americans, only 27% had volunteered somewhere. So make no mistake about it. Christian, right-wing, evangelicals are the most giving and charitable people on the planet compared to this individual who just wants to paint with a broad brush and slander a whole group of Christians simply because he disagrees with them on political issues. It's important to take note of this because what you're watching here is a tactic that is seen often, and it's very often that the that those on the left do it. Now, you might think I'm gonna say this has something to do with Marxism, and in a roundabout way it does. Um, I'm happy to insert Marxism wherever it applies, but I think it's more important to really get to a fine point here and realize that what we're talking about here is not necessarily Marxism, but Freudianism. What we're seeing here is the projection that happens on the woke left all the time. And let me just briefly explain. When you project and Freud, I think, was wrong about a lot of stuff, but he was right about this. When you project, essentially, this is what you're doing. In order to justify yourself, to make yourself feel better, maybe about your sinfulness or things that are going on in your life, what you must do is you must find a good example, somebody who is doing things right, and then you must, you must point the finger at them and somehow accuse them of doing something and make them look worse so that you can make yourself look better. So this is where you come away scratching your head wondering, how does this guy come away thinking that this is what Christians are doing? Now, how come he thinks they're so evil and that they're doing bad things? Well, the reason why is because he is projecting, because he is about doing something evil and he wants to cover it by blaming people who are actually about doing good things. Now, I can put this to you in the context of, of gay marriage. The individual who believes as a Christian that he should affirm gay marriage must find a way in order to make Christian conservatives who don't believe that, he must make them the enemy because of course, he can't admit that he's wrong. He can't change his whole worldview. He can't repent and actually say, I'm sorry for the way in which I've, I've, I've been living my life. I've, I've, I've been doing things that are harmful or ideas that are wrongheaded. If he is to do that, well, then that creates an existential crisis for the individual. And then he must start questioning everything that he believes and must start really thinking for himself. No, rather than to do that, most people put up a self-defense mechanism that keeps them living in their cognitive biases and that self-defense mechanism is woke projection. No, they're the problem. If I keep on pointing at them, I'll never have to point back at me. And a famous man said once, it's time to make a change and I'm starting with the man in the mirror. If pro woke progressive Christians actually started doing that, trust me, 
the world would look much better. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And most importantly, go with God. Make that change.